Welcome to Let's Talk OA, the podcast series on all things osteoarthritis. This space is designed for healthcare professionals to gather and learn from key world-renowned experts that dedicate their day-to-day in helping the lives of those living with OA. I'm Simon Fleming, your host for the series and a trainee orthopaedic surgeon in the United Kingdom. Welcome back to uh, another one of our amazing podcasts. And today we are extremely lucky to have uh, Dr. Karina Ruiz. Now, she is the Deputy Medical Director at the General Hospital of Mexico and the Executive Secretary of the Mexican College of Rheumatology. We're hoping today to talk about the, the ULAR Congress. And in, in, in osteoarthritis, there's, there's so many challenges from early detection and diagnosis, uh, prevention, treatment, rehabilitation, patient experiences, you name it. All of this has been covered in different episodes prior to this one. So, well, I mean, assuming you're listening to them in order. So it's important to stop and reflect on the year-by-year advances that we are making in the field as, as the community and as science moves on. Now, Having been at the European Alliance of Associations for Rheumatology, which is, is EULA, having been at their annual medical congress, uh, particularly after the pandemic, um, it, you know, it, it was in Copenhagen, it was face to face, and it was a great opportunity to, to have those discussions on a wide range of topics around therapeutic innovations, clinical practice, patient outcomes, and all those conversations that are pretty hard to have over, you know, teams and zooms and all that sort of stuff. So, so Dr. Ruiz, I'll start with an open question. What would you say were your main core, your core impressions, your core take homes from the Congress? It is always an extraordinary experience to be able to be at a European Congress of Rheumatology. But this year, the takeaway for me is the F2F. It's academic level and opportunities for high-quality peer-to-peer interactions on innovation and medical advances, including new therapies, especially after two years of online congresses due to the pandemic. Now returning to social contact as a fundamental part. Okay, so I'm curious to know if there is a particularly new or, or novel thing in osteoarthritis that was emphasized that you'd like to kind of, you know, open open our conversation with. During Dr. Tonya Vincent's talk, she presented the NICE guidelines, published in April 2022 for consolidation in patients with OA. The new guidelines support the effectiveness of different types of exercise, strength training or aerobics, and the effectiveness of variations in supervised or unsupervised practice. In line with other guidelines, these also support weight loss as an effective aspect of pain reduction in osteoarthritis, especially achieving greater effectiveness and weight loss is greater than 10%. This, of course, depends on the patient's baseline. It seems new treatments will have a genomic approach, redirected to cartilage repair. The mechanical inflammation derived from the friction between the joint surfaces that lead to the degradation of the matrix and pain as a response to the activation of pro-inflammatory genes. So it makes sense. In the study presented, a mechanical separation has been carried out for six weeks with positive results that show that by avoiding joint friction, the cartilage is capable of repairing itself with a measurable cartilage thickening through MRI. It will be interesting to see how this develops. I think promoting cartilage repair is likely to be the future focus. Professor Francesco Sechostock also brought a key point to light about the gut joint axis and rheumatoid arthritis. 
Intestinal dysbiosis occurs in RA patients. Dysbiosis is associated with subclinical gut inflammation and sonulin-dependent alteration of intestinal permeability. Apparent recirculation of gut-derived innate immune cells might participate in RA pathogenesis. Targeting of gut joint axis might be a therapeutic option in RA. The hypothesis gut microbiota triggers autoimmune diseases by enhancing the migration of gut-derived immune cells to systemic sites. Under this principle, the loss of intestinal homeostasis could cause an inflammatory state in rheumatoid arthritis. I also would like to mention Dr. Eva Bailey's talk, where she explained the mechanism from skin to bone as a psoriasis arthritis pathway. Its evolution is progressive, and T-cells play a fundamental role in the onset of inflammatory skin disease and hence the development of a systemic inflammatory disease. As you see, the Congress was loaded with high level of scientific content advances. Wow, that is quite the review. It feels like the kind of conference I'd need a lot of coffee just to be able to focus on all of that. Osteoarthritis is is rising, you know, the, the prevalence is rising, and it's it's good to know that there is a research focus on exploring new new ground. I, I'm curious to know though, um, would you say that a patient-centered approach and and kind of quality of life type issues have had time on the floor at this year's Congress? So, well, not directly, but they very definitely be part of four main topics that affects directly in their daily life. Exercise. We know that exercise increases IL-6 expression, and when this occurs, it also increases lipolysis and glycogenolysis. When we exercise, we have short and long-term effects. At the beginning of the exercise, IL-6 starts at low levels and increases as the exercise progresses and at the end of the exercise it returns to the basal state. There is biological plausibility to suggest that exercise may improve the efficacy of medication, mainly due to its effects on hemodynamics. But this needs to be adequately investigated in well-designed population and medication-specific trials. A meta-analysis showed how exercise alone reduces the size of adipose tissue without the need to follow a calorie-restricted diet. So, considering that obesity is an inflammatory state, inflammation is reduced in the long term with exercise because it reduces the expression of inflammatory cytokines. In relation to diet as an intervention to reduce inflammatory activity in rheumatoid arthritis, studies have been carried out to point to some foods that can worsen inflammation, such as saturated fats, omega-6, sugar and excess calories, and other that relieve as omega-3, simple micronutrients, antioxidants, and fever. What stands out most in the studies is the quality of the fats in the diet. There are studies that indicate that the Mediterranean diet improves joint inflammation, CRP, and VAS. In conclusion, there are moderate effects of dietary patterns, no clear effect of omega-3 supplementation, and very low evidence for other interventions. In Dr. Benti Apilis Benson's talk, he talks about the influence of cigarettes on activity and inflammatory arthritis, highlights that smoking increases oxidative stress in the body, influences the immune system, and consequently pushes the autoimmune reaction, increases the risk of cancer, cardiovascular diseases, inflammation, and decreased immune function. Smoking has emerged as a clear external risk for inflammatory arthritis. 20-40% of smokers with inflammatory arthritis are less likely to respond to antirheumatic drug treatment. Smokers increase the risk of developing RA, positive anti-CCP, 
and it is associated with elevated inflammatory biological parameters, for example, C-reactive protein. Smokers with inflammatory arthritis experience a worse quality of life, both physically and psychologically. Recently, a study published in Rheumatology 2019 concluded that smoking cessation in RA patients was associated with lower disease activity. Another aspect that influences the quality of life of patients with rheumatoid arthritis is insomnia, since more than 60% of people with RA have poor quality sleep. In this sense, studies have been carried out in patients with RA who receive cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI, as initial treatment. CBTI can eliminate insomnia and reduce RA-related symptoms, showing long-term improvement in patient-reported fatigue, pain, disease impact, and depression, findings that could also have a role, important clinical implication. So I looked at the program and I saw some sessions on digital health, and tailored interventions for, you know, improving patients' uh, adherence. So what would you say have been the, the main, the main opportunities and the main challenges, uh, kind of derived from, from that, that session, those sessions? Regarding digital health, we currently must make use of the tools and technological advances, both doctors and patients. The use of technologies can facilitate the quality of care such as electronic medical record, virtual visit, digital health technologies in RMDs, mobile health applications, artificial intelligence and machine knowledge, or portable monitors. All these instruments can be used for education, diagnosis, disease management, medication adherence, data and or symptom collection, clinical research, and lifestyle modification. Digital health will favor greater information for patients about managing their own health, thus increasing the ability to make joint decisions and self-management, and improves our ability to correctly diagnose and treat disease. However, there exist some disadvantages regarding digital health, because it is expensive, not everyone has the ability to handle these technologies, the lack of necessary equipment, there is no possibility of a face-to-face -face examination, so it is not for all patients. The World Health Organization considers that low adherence is one of the causes responsible for the irregularity of diseases. There are four factors that can influence adherence, conditional, personal, therapy-related, and socioeconomic. There is an Australian and a British study based on EOA treatment with digital education, which both concluded that digital intervention treatment is as good or better than conventional routine care. I completely agree about your takes on digital innovation in health. I think it's going to be exciting to see where that goes. To conclude this episode and taking into account everything you've discussed, everything you saw, everything you heard, what were your key takeaways, you know, one or two key takeaways from the ULAR Congress of 2022? It was for me an extraordinary experience to be in this Congress as a rheumatologist in various aspects, such as academic, professional and social. It took me face-to-face -face with a reunion with colleagues, as well as being able to enjoy innovative talks with a higher level of quality and speakers of a high academic level. In osteoarthritis, there are many big challenges, from early detection and diagnosis, prevention to adequate treatment as medical as non-medical. This Congress has been a great opportunity to discuss a wide range of topics on therapeutical innovations, clinical practice, patient outcomes, the digital takeaways, or outcomes driving from the pandemic. 
I completely agree. My experience of conferences as we're moving back to face to face, that networking and that re-cementing of a sense of of community is is where these great ideas come from, is where the, the next big thing is thought about. I have to say thank you so, so much, Dr. Ruiz, for your for your time, for sharing the highlights with with me and our audience. Thanks to you and the audience. I hope it has been very useful and applicable in your day today. I guess that's a wrap for today on ULAR 2022. But if you like this talk, stay on the lookout for our upcoming episodes where we'll be discussing a bit more, this time about the EFORT Congress. Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk OA, a podcast series brought to you by Laboratories Expand Science. We'll see you next time as we continue to learn more about osteoarthritis.